everybody. Welcome to Jim and Mike Talk Music. We are on show 17. Yeah. Can you believe it? And you're Jim. I'm Jim. And I'm Mike. <laughs> so today we're, we're going to talk about a concert film that That's we watched, um, what, a couple weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And it's called The Last Waltz. And it's a film about a band called The Band. Right. So our focus today, Jim, is going to be on 1976, going back 45 years, because mm-hmm. we're going to do later, we're doing a spot with the U.S. top 10 singles from 1976. So that's going to be at the end of our podcast here, uh, exploring the top 10. So you're going to get to see how that relates to the band. The band was popular, of course, back in the uh, 70s. I don't think into the 80s. You know, maybe you haven't heard of the band. Um, well, but I'm, I'm wondering if our listeners could name three songs. Just three songs. That's all I'm asking for. Not a dozen, not ten. I don't know if I, I can name two. Right, right. And, and that's, you know, as we were exploring this, that's what I come up with. I, I, I named two, and I couldn't even name a third song by the well-known band, The Band. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. It's like, so then after I heard some, I knew I knew them, but actually naming them. So listeners, I challenge you right now to come up with three titles <laughs> by The Band. Let's give you a little uh, background on The Band. Uh, the Band, it was a Canadian-American rock group. They were formed in Toronto, Ontario, in 1967. They were originally the backing band for Ronnie Hawkins and later Bob Dylan. The group released a debut album, Music from Big Pink. I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I don't know what that is. And that was in 1968, a critical acclaim. Ronnie Hawkins had a band called The Hawk. When they became the band, uh, Ronnie, I guess, decided not to um, continue with them, but I guess continue with The Hawks. Mm Mm-hmm. And in this movie, uh, The Last Waltz, uh, Ronnie Hawkins does show up for one of the performances. As do many other people, you're going to yeah, mention it in just yeah. a little bit, yeah. So the band consisted um, of four Canadians and one American. Hmm. Uh, Rick Danko, he played bass guitar and fiddle. Uh, Garth Hudson, he was on keyboards, accordion, saxophone. Richard Manuel, keyboards, drums, vocals. Uh, Robbie Robertson, which you may have heard of because he had a, a solo career that went right. pretty well. Very good. I love his uh, first solo album. And Levon Helm, which went on, he went on to a solo career. He played drums, vocals, mandolin, guitar. So they were pretty well uh, versed in different instruments. I think they could switch off and on. Right. Them. And talking about their, their, uh, their musical style, you know, because some of our listeners, uh, especially those who are younger than us, you know, just wondering about that musical style. You know, you're looking at... Uh, I have a question for you, uh, mm-hmm. Jim. The word jam band, uh, where do you think that comes from? Where does where does jam come from? I don't know. Okay, well, I just had this epiphany, okay? You know, I didn't read this anywhere. But um, I'm just two blocks from the studio here in Washington, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to the band, and one of the songs, it says, Come on down to the jamboree. Uh-huh. I'm like, the jamboree! They would have jamborees. And at the okay. jamborees, these musicians would jam. They're not just like song, song, song. No, they're there to jam. Yeah. I, so I th- I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that jam, as in jam band, comes from jamboree. Okay. Yeah. Just, you know, this is my epiphany. And if I'm wrong, listeners, you, uh, you can write in and correct me. Well, I was thinking like jelly jam, you know, has, maybe has a lot of things. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> so, so for some listeners who who don't uh, know about jam bands, but but you know, picture where this is in time, and they are kind of a jam band. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some people would equate them to to uh, Grateful Dead and some other bands that you might list, Jim uh, and Fish. So I can hear you know that 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 Fish and the Grateful Dead would go along with these guys. But yeah. you have to think of what was going on. You know, progressive rock, hard rock. Disco is starting, you know? Disco yeah. is getting into full swing. Pretty interesting time. So back to um, Ronnie Hawkins. He was a, actually a rockabilly singer. Wow. In the mid-60s, he gained recognition backing Bob Dylan. And the 1966 tour was notable as Dylan's first with an electric band. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So basically, I think the band got their name uh, because when they toured with Bob Dylan... 
they were known as Bob Dylan and the band. In the movie, they mention other names. <laughs> right, they right. They might have called themselves. Yeah, did you want to... One was the Crackers. Yeah, th- well, I just, I just wondered where that guy's getting it from. I think he's looking at how their band compares to other bands. Um, yeah. I don't know, maybe... I don't know if I want to say the word racially, but, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, his, his choices were the Honkies or the Crackers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the two that yeah. I mentioned. So I just don't know where, you know, what he was... Well, but, he he was also on something. So that's right. That's right. If you him. see the if you see the concert film and uh, interspersed with inter- interviews, uh, you will see Wild Man. I just call him Wild Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's um, he's definitely on something when he says that. I mean, I think they had kind of a a country flavor mm-hmm. to him, sort of like Creedence Clearwater Revival. Right. Right. Bands like that. Mm-hmm. Now, Roger Waters uh, from Pink Floyd called. Music from the Big Pink, the second most influential record in the history of rock and roll. I don't know what the first was. Oh, I have to guess the first. Wow. Now, the group was inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame in 1989 and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1994. Mm -hmm. And in 2004, Rolling Stone ranked, ranked the band 50th on its list of 100 greatest artists of all time. Mm hmm. Now, I don't know if you've guessed, you know, the three songs or if you could come up, but the most famous song, I, I think, is called The Weight. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like that um, title, The Core. You know, you know the song, mm-hmm. but you don't know the title. Yeah. The Core, uh, The Weight. So people don't know it by the, the title, The Weight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, take a load off Fanny. Mm-hmm. Take a load for free. Yeah. You yeah. know that song? Yeah. Um, now... What's interesting is they, they mentioned uh, Nazareth. Yeah, the opening line. Uh, yeah. Yeah, drove into Nazareth. Feeling about a half past dead. So when I was younger, I thought, I didn't think Nazareth was Nazareth, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, nearby where Mike and I grew up, mm-hmm. and also home to Martin Guitar. Um, but it is, in fact, Nazareth, Pennsylvania they're talking about. Right, and written specifically for that. And since uh, it is someone from the South going up, it could be kind of a uh, a pilgrimage to mm-hmm. Martin Guitars. Yeah, it could be, a, could be a song about a pilgrimage to visit Martin Guitars. Yeah, it's written in first person about a traveler's experience arriving, visiting, and departing a town called Nazareth. Yeah. And according to Robertson, this is based on Nazareth, Pennsylvania, because it was home of Martin Guitars. So we're going to get into the movie. The movie was directed by Martin Scorsese. And this was before he was really well-known, is that right? Yeah, I don't think he was Mm -hmm. well-known. He also was um, assistant director to Woodstock, and I think he was also one of the editors of the movie. Right, and as we were talking before, I was thinking that maybe, uh, maybe Woodstock would be a little less choreographed than this one. You know, more thrown together, you know, with pieces of this and that. I mean, you could do whatever you wanted with Woodstock. But this one, I think it comes together more, um, you know, more cohesively yeah. as a production. Even though uh, Martin Scorsese wasn't well known at this point, believe it or not, it was his 15th film. Okay, so he was known among the film circles, yeah. And uh, it was his fourth documentary. Now, this was filmed on November 25th, 1976, which was Thanksgiving. Yeah. And it didn't come out until April 26, 1978. Yeah, there's reasons for that. So Scorsese, he was working on his film New York, New York, which was released in 1977. And this was before his eyebrows grew in. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> now, he, he had just turned 34. Yeah. And, it's like a late puberty kind of thing. But he, he does talk fast like he does now, mm-hmm. but uh, you don't get the full Martin Scorsese effect. Yeah. He had considered putting the, the, the fake eyebrows, the bushy. Yeah, the I big, think he was thinking about it. He hadn't done that yet. The film starts um, when you first uh, watch the movie, you'll see the words, this movie should be played loud. Mm-hmm. And you see uh, Rick Danko, he's playing pool. He's playing a game called Cutthroat. Um, he says, keep your balls on the table. Everybody else is off. And I don't know if this is a comment on the band itself. Yeah. Maybe yeah. to only worry about yourself and not others. 
you know? I don't know. Now, the movie starts with the encore. Right, so it starts with the very end, the yeah. like the punchline, and then it goes back. Yeah. After the encore is done, it goes right to the beginning chronologically. Called Don't You Do It. And then uh, after the first song, we, we see people standing outside, uh, and it's the Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We see a little bit of the town, the streets, and, you know, a line of people trying to get in. Right, right. Now, it's a, it's a series of interviews and, with various band members, which are, like, backstage. Martin Scorsese also goes to Shangri-La Studios. That's where they would record in Malibu, California. Rick Rubin bought this studio in 2019. Robbie Robertson uh, at one point makes a comment that it used to be a brothel. He says something about the wallpaper. Yeah. I know that's exciting. Well, it's exciting for him to to consider uh, what was going on there before. They talk about the beginnings of the band, some stories, uh, people they encountered. Uh, One that's kind of gross is uh, a blues singer who he said was playing harmonica, and he was spitting blood into a bucket. Uh, His name was Sonny Boy Williamson, and he apparently died like a year or two later. Yeah. They talk about the Skyline Lounge. This was pretty funny because they, it's it's some, he didn't say it was a small place, uh, but he said there were only three people there. There were two drunken waiters and a go-go dancer with one arm. Mm. And he said a fight. No, No pole dancing. No, I don't think you can pole dance with one arm. No. And a fight broke out. So he was kind of amused by that. There yeah. were only three people in the place. Yeah. What I noticed is Richard Manuel, he is like the most strung out in this. He kind of rambles on a little bit. He tells a story about buying bread in a grocery store and mm-hmm. shoving bologna down his pants. Talking about how poor they were yeah. and needing to, get, yeah. needing to get food. Right, that's yeah. right. That's- He's kind of a cross between Frank Zappa and Ted Nugent, I think. <laughs> They look like they're having fun, though. Yeah, yeah. And basically, this movie is about Robbie Robertson uh, wanting to not tour anymore and only be a recording band, which the Beatles did towards the end. Mm -hmm. And I I think it was a time of ending this great thing that we're doing before it goes bad. Yeah. You know, shows, sitcoms and and such, you know, Mm -hmm. drama on TV... They, they're looking, the writers and producers are looking for that sweet time where it's, it's time to put it to rest before it goes bad. Yeah, like Seinfeld. Yeah, all, all those. Yeah, I think they were doing that. I think, the band, I think the band was doing that. All of them were pretty much doing drugs in this film. It's reported that Neil Young had white powder on his nose That's right, when I he was on it. stage, and they kind of blurred it out for the film. What I found is that I wasn't so much interested in the band, but the people that showed up. Because this is a moment in time. Some of these people were very well known. They became even bigger later on. And it could have been people they were friends with as well as well known, right? Not just getting friends and not just getting well known people. Yeah. But, you know, connecting with, you know, hey, it'd be great to have you. Would you want to sing this song or this one? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it started out, they were just going to have one or two people, and then (laughs) other people wanted to be a part of it. But I think it's incredible that Neil Young could play and sing Yeah, after snorting coke. Right, right. They talked about him definitely doing uh, a lot of coke before he went out. Yeah. I read that. And he does a song, Helpless. Joni Mitchell is in the the back on the vocals. Mm -hmm. Now, in September 2020, and... NME interview. New Musical Express. Yeah, Robbie Robertson says that if there was anything wrong with The Last Waltz, it was that the cocaine wasn't very good. (laughs) (laughs) And that was just said recently. Neither one of us were big band fan. I mean, we knew the songs. Uh, I think Up on Cripple Creek was another one. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd hear these on the radio, but I wasn't buying albums by them. And pretty much up on Cripple Creek and The Weight are the only ones that really get airplay. Yeah. Uh, you know, to this day, you know, in this year. And they're sung by Levon Helm. What I got out of this movie is I, I really found a new appreciation for Rick Danko. Mm-hmm. He's got an interesting voice. The song makes no difference, which is in the beginning of the film. 
Uh, it's a great song, and you have a great like sax solo mm-hmm. by Garth Hudson. Now, some of the people that showed up, uh, Joni Mitchell, she's singing uh, Coyote about some strung out guy she's hanging out with. <laughs> um, <laughs> Calling him a coyote. Muddy Waters, uh, Manish Boy. Just love that song. Now, Muddy Waters, uh, he almost uh, wasn't in the film. He was there. He did the song. But apparently there was a lot of um, confusion with changing film. Right. There was a change early on from, I think it was something like 16 millimeter to... 36 millimeter, I forget the uh, the exact, yeah. but going, upgrading, and going from one or two cameras to seven. So there, yeah. so there's this this change, right, you know, even in process. Yeah. yeah so that's what I think it had to do with that. I mean, I, I can understand a performer maybe doing two songs and they cut one. If you're there to perform and be part of this, like why you would not want to film one person, I don't know his name, but he he didn't get the message to stop filming. And actually filmed Muddy Waters doing yeah. Manish Boy, and that uh, ended up in the movie. Yeah, and it was a, it was a good rendition. I think, uh, you know, you could have so many people, the guests, so many guests, that the person making decisions, Scorsese or, you know, uh, producers, directors, could, could make that decision because they're not a fan of Muddy Waters, they're not a fan of the blues, or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so they could, like, not care. Because you've mentioned so many people, I mean, so many people... Uh, well-known, were joining the band uh, on this night. Well, I'm going to tell you about more. Uh, Eric Clapton, who I love, he does Further Up the Road. Great blues jam Mm -hmm. on this one. Then we got Neil Diamond uh, shows up. Dry Your Eyes, that's the song. Mm -hmm. Dry your eyes, take your song out. There you go. What was that? (laughs) Hey, Uh, but but, uh, before you go further, uh, Clapton, I was reading that... uh, Clapton grabs his guitar and runs as he's about to play his solo or start the song. Okay. The strap comes off. Uh-huh. And so he looks out and, and looks over and says, take it, Robbie. And Robbie just went right away, right into okay. it. Yeah. So the, the strap popped off and he had to play with his guitar a little bit, get it back on again. Yeah. I thought you were going to tell me Neil Diamond ran out on stage and helped him. But <laughs> now, no, I, you know, if it what, was it Neil Diamond, was it act? I, it could have been a lookalike. It could have been somebody else. Was Neil Diamond there? Because listen to the people that you're telling me were there, okay? And then you throw in Neil Diamond. Yeah. I mean, come on. Be serious. Now, we have something about Neil Diamond in this uh, performance. I just don't know. You know, it, it, call it a conspiracy theory, whatever you want to call it. I don't know that he was actually there. Like, if we had him here today, what would he say? That, that's, that's the kind of thing I'm wondering. So Neil Diamond comes out. He introduces his song by saying, I'm, I'm only going to do one song. That's what he says. But it's going to be good. But it's going to be good. Neil Diamond's appearance was not popular with all the other performers. Mm-hmm. And I love Neil Diamond, but just by what he's wearing, like he's wearing sunglasses mm-hmm. and he's got this suit on that looks like he bought it at Kmart. Yeah, the rest you know. aren't. The rest probably aren't wearing suits. I mean, it's you know this. I, I don't know. You know, some are. Some are. They're all dressed all differently. But he all. He, I think he came across as maybe a little pretentious. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And there is a rumor that claims that Neil Diamond came off stage and he remarked to Dylan, "Follow that." To which Dylan responded, "What do I have to do? Go on stage and fall asleep?" End quote. And that was that was uh, actually Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we don't know if that actually happened or not. Uh, I think later they, they said, no, we were just joking around. Uh, I wouldn't say something like that. Neil Diamond said, I wouldn't uh, say follow that or top that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The connection here with Neil Diamond is Robbie Robertson. I think mm-hmm. he um, produced an album of his before this. Yeah. So he knew Neil. We got Van Morrison singing a song, Caravan. He's at his prime here. He is a little pudgy still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and he's looking, I noticed this, he's looking like a, a young John McCain. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Of course, we got Bob Dylan, uh, Forever Young, which people might be familiar with the Rod Stewart version, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because Rod Stewart wrote Forever Young, but somehow it sounded like Dylan's version and he 
I guess he played it for Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And Bob Dylan's got writing credits on the Rod Stewart song. So I, they, I think he was... So uh, they compromised. They kind of came together and... Yeah, I think he was afraid he was... Um, you know, he changed the lyrics. It's not the same bit. song. It's just changed the lyrics it has a little a, bit, yeah. It has the same maybe chord progression and, you know, it sounds really similar. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's afraid of getting sued by Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Now, was Ringo Starr actually there? What? Ringo um, somehow shows up, maybe uninvited, <laughs> at the end. Yeah. All of a sudden, he's playing drums. Uh, that's for the, the last song where they're, mm-hmm. not the very last song, but the song where they all come out yeah. and they sing together. Yeah. He could have been hiding behind the curtain right there the whole time. I bet yeah. he was. Just listening in. I'd like to be a part of this. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. The oddest thing I found about this movie yeah. is a guy comes out, he's a poet. Oh, yes, yes. And he, he does... Who is this guy? Yeah. He does the Lord's Prayer, but he changes the words. Like, who who has the balls? Before I found out, I was going to comment that, you know, he's, he's going to go to hell. <laughs> now, the guy did die. But believe it or not, yeah, he passed away February 22nd of this year at the age of 101. So he lived very long yeah. after saying those words. And his name yeah. was Lawrence... Ferlinghetti. Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Yeah. Jim, I can't remember the exact emphasis of the word changes. Do you remember what he was trying to... I wish I did. Yeah. So, listeners, you'll have to look into that yourself, trying to figure out what Ferlinghetti was saying. So, the, the concert jumps from interview to performance... Now, I noticed in the beginning, they rarely show the crowd. It's, it's like dark. But, oh, yeah, yeah. But then I didn't know, uh, not all the performances were uh, with a live audience. Like, you have the feeling that it's at the Winterland Ballroom. Right. They're performing in front of the audience the whole time, but they aren't. They're performing in different, different areas, or one looks like a, uh, like a soundstage. Yeah. This was before social distancing. Uh, people were sitting back mm-hmm. for some reason. And that's the one where Emmy Lou Harris sings Evangeline. Yeah, it looks like they're on a sound stage. Some people are milling about in the background. The- I, see, I see a correction here. I know I'm jumping, jumping right in here, but this is about the filming. I was a millimeter off, I believe. But it started out with the, uh, the 16 millimeter and went to the 35 millimeter. Yeah. A little correction on the size okay. for you <laughs> photography aficionados. Yeah. Yeah. So the concert ends with the theme from The Last Waltz, where they're on stage, no audience. And Robbie Robertson is playing an odd instrument called the guitar harp. It's part guitar, part harp. It's almost like a double neck guitar, but the other neck is a harp. I remember now, very strange, yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of experimentation, you know, with progressive rock, uh, just really pushing the boundaries of what a band is, what a rock band is. So they were doing a lot of of this experiment, more than they are now, you know, or or a decade ago, Mm -hmm. really experimenting and making up instruments. I wasn't really impressed with the film. I don't think uh, Mike and I were blown away. It's more of a showcase of the band's work up until that point. And some of the great artists they met, you know, along the way, showcases their talents and songs. Overall, I it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a great concert film. I mean, even the interviews are kind of sporadic. I think it was it was good at its time. And as as I read some reviews here, Jim, it's it's interesting how it doesn't hold up as well over time. You know, yeah. you've got a review. Uh, you know, right after it, and you got a review a, a couple decades later. And now here we are, forty five years later. Uh, the Chicago Tribune uh, said it's the greatest rock concert movie ever made, and maybe the best rock movie. Period. So this was right at this was right after it uh, happened. The Detroit Free Press said uh, one of the great movie rock experiences. Another one said it's the greatest concert film uh, ever shot. You know things like that. So yeah. so positive at first, but then we do have Roger Ebert. This is in two thousand two. You give it three out of four stars mm-hmm. in 2002. But I want to read some of that. It's a, it kind of, you know, we, we respect uh, uh, Siskel and Ebert. This is the, the man. So the overall, he says, quote, the overall tenor of The Last Waltz suggests survivors at the end of their ropes. They dress in dark, cheerless clothes, hide behind their beards, hats, and shades, 
and pound out rote performances of old hits. Don't seem to smile much at all at each other as they make their music. Then he says they look tired of it. These are not musicians at the top of their art, but laborers on the last day of the job. Wow. <laughs> End quote. I think at the time there was nothing like it. Yeah. Like who who else says, hey, instead of the band breaking up like everybody does, fighting about uh, um, money and things like that, let's let's come together and and rock this out, yeah. and then of course bring in some some celebrity and bring in some friends, you yeah, know, that's... yeah. And so I think it was something really different, and so boom, it was yeah. something really different. Let's go out on a high note, yeah, literally, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. So so I think that's what it was, but. Um, but as Jim and I finished watching it, you know, like Jim just said, it was, I wasn't wowed. You know, I've been more wowed at, at uh, you know, a concert or maybe at another movie, like my new fave, A Star is Born. Yeah. You know, I was wowed, you know. And so uh, when we got done watching, we said, oh, okay, that's, that's historical. That's interesting. And I was also trying, comment on this, Jim, I was also trying to get a feel for the musicians as they were playing, as they were done. There was there was a a restraint. There was it wasn't an excitement. It wasn't a sadness. I I, I mm-hmm. couldn't feel something from them. What do you what do you think about that? Like watching it near the near the end. Did you did you feel that they were? Well, I think uh, most people didn't agree with Robbie Robertson's decision. You know, to, to do what they were doing. Yeah, then. they yeah. still wanted to continue touring. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And I think. Most of them, especially Levon Helm, wasn't real happy with the film, the way the film came out. All right. Almost like they were being forced into doing this. Mm-hmm. Because then they did go on to tour after this film. So they weren't done. And I'll get into that in a, in, in a little bit here. You know, there's nothing in this film that's, like, mind-blowing. Um, even anything that the band has to say, you do... You get a little bit of feel for a little bit of the history... But nothing uh, really, nothing you're going to get from this film and, and say you're going to know exactly who who they are, who these mm-hmm. people are. Right, Other right. that they're in the band. Plus, they're all coked up in the film. Right, you know? right. I'd say if you've never heard uh, many songs from the band or even have seen them perform, like, you know, I know you can go on YouTube and stuff. Actually, you can go on YouTube and watch parts of this film. Uh, I'd say watch the film just to to see it. I think we decided to watch this because it was deemed as one of the best concert movies, mm-hmm. which I think I don't think it is. Now we have a friend, a, a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. I'll say his first name. His name is Victor. He posted on Facebook the other night that he's seen this film a hundred times. I, 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 so he I, loves it. He obviously loves yeah, it. Yeah, and maybe he's he is a huge fan of mm-hmm. the band, mm-hmm. obviously. Shout out to you, Victor. Keep watching. Yeah. I don't know any movie I've watched a hundred times, mm-hmm. but I can think of some movies that I'd watch over and over, but this is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to give this a two out of five, mainly for the music and variety of the artists, the other artists that join them on stage, mm-hmm. but nothing much more. So I have a couple more things um, about the movie. During post-production, the live recording was altered to clean it up a little bit. The mistakes, out-of-tune singing, bad horn balance. And again, this film was filmed in 1976 on Thanksgiving. Uh, They apparently gave out uh, turkey dinner. Um, Yeah. Swanson's? The the TV dinner? I don't know. I guess a huge turkey dinner for everybody. Uh, or maybe they threw turkey that was cut out of the film, you know, to the audience. Kind of a Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of thing with the meat flying. So here's a little bit about Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. While Bob Dylan had agreed to perform in concert, he did not want his appearance filmed because he feared it would distract from his own film project, Ronaldo and Clara. So Warner Brothers had agreed to finance the filming of The Last Waltz with the understanding that Dylan would be involved in the film and soundtrack. He only wanted his performance on the soundtrack. Not on film, so audio only is, yeah, I think, what yeah. he wanted, right. Mm-hmm. And it said backstage negotiations took place during an intermission. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Robertson assured Dylan that the concert film's release would be delayed until after his film 
And with that, Dylan relented and agreed to be filmed. So Dylan found out this isn't going to be released soon. I don't know if they told him like two years later. Um, promoter Bill Graham was also... Is that Billy Graham? No, no, it's uh, different. <laughs> promoter Bill. Bill. Yeah, Bill. Yeah. Bill Graham was involved in the talks. Somebody's working with Bob said, we're not filming this. And Bill just said, get out of here or I'll kill you. Yeah. Yeah. A little tense. So Dylan, um, you know, obviously they kept him in the film. So, Jim, I think this really has something to do with what I was saying. They don't look like they're having a great time. You know, if you've got uh, maybe not actual death threats, but, you know, you've got negotiations going on during the filming of it, it's tense. You know, if if I had to be working on uh, whether I'm going to be filmed or not and about money, uh, I'd be tense, and so I I feel it comes out a little bit. The music's there, but I think that that, com- that feel comes out a little bit. Yeah. Now, Levon Helm uh, later wrote about the last waltz in his autobiography, "This Wheels on Fire," in which he made the case that it had been primarily Robbie Robertson's project, and that Robertson had forced the band's breakup on the rest of the group. So there it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robertson offered a different take. In a 1986 interview, he said, I made my big statement. I did the movie. I made a three-record album about it. And if this is only my statement, not theirs, I'll accept that. They're saying, well, that was really his trip, not our trip. Mm -hmm. Well, fine. I'll take the best music film that's ever been made and make it my statement. I don't have any problems with that, none at all. So the original quintet would perform together one last time Mm -hmm. after the late set of Rick Danko's March 1st, 1978 solo show at the Roxy, performing Stage Fright, The Shape I'm In, and The Wait for an Encore. This would be the last time all five musicians would perform together. Wow. I thought it was interesting, too, that you mentioned that it was, and I read that, it was a three LP set. For yeah. music, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot. You think there's there's probably more music on that LP set than maybe what we saw, or yeah. or actually there is the recordings of the interviews and all that. Yeah, yeah. So you got you have uh, you have music and speaking. Uh, we don't own those uh, three yeah. LP sets, uh, but uh, that would you know it'd likely be more music. But probably it is all those uh, commentaries, all those words, all the interviews. So what's interesting, uh, too, is that the band resumed touring in 1983 without Robbie Robertson, who had found success with a solo career and as a Hollywood music producer. Now, I know he he produced music for Martin Scorsese, Mm -hmm. like Raging Bull. That's right. He went on to produce a lot with Scorsese. Yeah. Now, this is kind of sad because after a performance in Winter Park, Florida on March 4th, 1986, Manuel committed suicide. Uh, he was 42, and he did that in his motel room. Mm-hmm. Uh, he suffered many years from alcoholism and drug addiction. He had been clean and sober for several years, beginning in 1978, mm-hmm. but he began drinking and using drugs again in 1984. Yeah, the life of a rock and roll star. I don't know when the band broke up, mm-hmm. but maybe soon after that. Yeah. I'm just going to add this i think it would be a different picture uh if they were the honkies yeah yeah like <laughs> with their if it was bob dylan and the honkies yeah. you know and then they went on to be the honkies it would be it would be uh the honkies i think mm-hmm. it was uh it was one of those groups that were popular for a certain period of time mm-hmm. you know like three dog night which you may or may not still hear on the radio right right uh you very rarely hear the band even on rock stations. Uh, we have one here, uh, I think it's in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been Classic rock, right? Mm-hmm. They've been playing the same uh, music, same songs uh, for like 30 years. Right. Years. I, I moved out of state for 25 years, uh, Jim. I come back and uh, come into the Lehigh Valley and hear the same songs. Seriously, same exact songs. Yeah, you can yeah. play actually place bets on who they're going to play next. You yeah. Know, a lot of people do yeah. that. Is it going to be Led Zeppelin or ACDC? Yeah. ZZ Top. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they'll throw in... Um, the Scorpions? I th- yeah. Or they not do that anymore? Maybe not. I mean, they'll throw in... Uh, I heard Tesla. Yeah. Um, Nothing to do with the cars. I don't yeah. think it's the, the electric cars or anything. 
uh, I heard them play Tesla's uh, Sign, mm -hmm. which is a, a cover song. I'm like, why? You know, but, <laughs> so, uh, Jim, uh, we're, we're going to continue in 1976. And yeah. coming up, we've got this next segment, continuing with songs. And the band is not a part of this next segment, but it is music of 1976. Yeah, and we'll be back after this little interlude. All right. Okay, we're back with the uh, U.S. Top 10 Singles. This is for the yes. <laughs> week ending April 10th, 1976. Yeah, yeah. 45 years ago, people, as this is being put out. So Mike's going to start with uh, number 10. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm starting out with one of my favorites, mm -hmm. and this is Golden Years by David Bowie. Jim, I remember, I have to reminisce right away, because, you know, we're doing so much technical stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, picture a 10-year-old boy by a little turntable that plays only 45s. It's light blue, and it's got pink and blue <laughs> cover. You know, it's got a carrying case. You know, it is in its yeah. carrying case. But I, uh, we were at Woolworths. Uh, you go to Woolworths, and you mm -hmm. get, you know, I, you get three, three 45s for a dollar. Okay. It was on sale. But uh, got fame uh, and golden years. I don't know which side was A and which side was B. Golden Years, Fame on the other side. So I would play it, and I'd be listening to Golden Years at, at 10 years old, mm -hmm. and I would get down low, because it has only this little three-inch speaker, yeah. you know, built in, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and just picture getting down low and seeing that needle bobbing up, bob up and down, uh -huh. and up and then down, along with, you know, the warp of the record. Yeah. But that was Golden Years for me. That's, that's an image that I have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, that's my least favorite Bowie song. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it's my favorite Bowie song. But just the memories. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying out of this top 10. Yeah. I don't this, know when I first this heard top, it. This I, top 10 that we have here. Yeah. I might've heard it on the radio. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, you've got this, uh, well, you know, I thought he was scatting. I thought he was scatting, mm -hmm. uh, boom, ba ba baby. Yeah. Do you know what he's saying? Do you know what he's no. saying? So, so Jim, you know, it took me 45 years from being that 10 year old boy to, to last week. To look mm -hmm. up the lyrics to Golden Years. Yeah. So he is saying, come, get up, my baby. Yeah. Come, get, get up, my baby. baby. Come, get up. Well, mm -hmm. sing with me. Come, come get, get up, my baby. baby. Yeah. Come, yeah. So, so that's, that's, you know. Golden yeah. Years. Yep. So, um, <laughs> so there's a lot of strange lyrics to this song, you know, and, and I didn't, you know, I was singing my own gibberish, you know, for years, you know, back then, especially. In walked luck, and you looked so, and you looked in time. Never look back. Walk tall, act fine. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to put all that together. This this comes at a, a time of experimentation. Uh, you know, I believe Bowie is looking androgynous. You know, yeah. You, you know, who knows? And that's pretty radical. That's mm -hmm. pretty radical for half century ago. So uh, there's number ten. Well, I have yeah, yeah. I have a little bit of oh, I'm I'm sure you got something on this. Uh, this song was uh, supposedly written for Elvis Presley. Uh -huh. Oh, come on, my baby, golden years, angel. So Presley turned it down. Uh, Bowie recalled that Presley had heard the demos, and because both artists were signed to RCA Records at the time, mm -hmm. Presley's manager, Colonel Tom Parker, thought that Bowie should write songs for Presley, believe it or not. Wow. Because Elvis, uh, you know, never wrote any of his own songs. Mm -hmm. Bowie stated that he had adored Presley and would have loved to have worked with him. So this song was 76. Uh, Elvis died in 77. Mm-hmm. Although they um, would contact each other, I guess the uh, the record company's office, uh, nothing ever came mm -hmm. to fruition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Elvis sent a note to Bowie saying, all the best and have a great tour, which Bowie kept the note for the rest of his life. Oh, that's from Elvis, cool. So. That's cool. You know, it's also possible that Elvis couldn't, uh, you know, do the rap that, fa that yeah. fast because there's some parts in here. 
in the in the back of a dream car 20 foot long don't cry my sweet don't break my heart doing all right you got to get smart in the back of a dream car 20 foot long <laughs> you know and and i didn't you know i didn't know these lyrics when i was a kid but uh, yeah. you know it's 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 bam yeah, bam bam it's pretty quick yeah you know? i can't picture or hear elvis singing yeah. that you know slow it down maybe right yeah maybe slow it down Number nine. Yeah, number nine is Sweet Love by the Commodores. So, you know, I, I remember this song. I remember hearing it. It's on Motown Records. Uh, the, Com- the Commodores, six guys. It's, uh, you know, it starts, out real, it starts out real sweet. It is smooth, you know. I, mm-hmm. I almost considered putting it. I would consider putting this on a playlist, a new playlist, just to throw it in and, you know, kind of see what happens. Great uh, quality and variety in the vocals. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do like that. There's this... Uh, guitar uh picking and it's it's just got a, it's just got a great sound to it now this is a six minute song oh wow yeah i think i know this song but it you know it's no brick house yeah or easy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me uh let me just read you some lyrics here i've got some lyrics uh, it starts out just in case you're wondering which song it is and you know uh we can't play it show me a river that's so deep show me a mountain so high I'll show you love that lasts forever, flying so high, so high. And it's the one that says, Sweet love, oh, sweet love. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, just, a, just a love song. And it peaked at number five, by Okay, the way. yeah, yeah. All right, number eight. Uh, so I woke up this morning singing this song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, did you, did you mention that Dr. Hook was also in... Uh, there's there's something in the writings about Doctor Hook in uh, the Last Waltz, the oh really film about the band yeah. So this is only sixteen, only sixteen, by Doctor Hook and it features Ray Sawyer. Yeah, comes out on Capitol Records. Jim, I didn't know if you knew that. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of genealogy lately, and um, he's actually the uh, great great grandson, uh, second great grandson of Captain Hook. They both wear that eye patch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. He's not related to Captain Hook. What? So, so no, I'm, I'm joking. The song is uh, the interesting part about the feel of the song, Jim. Is it's so different than the experimental wildness that is David Bowie. Yeah, I listened to this, and it could be 15 years earlier. This could be, mm-hmm. you know, the the way the way the song well, sounds. This is a 1959 song. There it is by Sam Cooke. Okay, <laughs> which I don't know that version, but I did see that, and uh, I love Doctor Hook. Yeah, yeah. You're list- you you currently listen to Doctor Hook. You've got some vinyl over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's spend the night together. Yeah. That song um, cover of the Rolling Stone. They did that one. Yes. Yeah. They just were a feel good band. Uh, only sixteen. Only sixteen. She was only sixteen. She was too young to fall in love, love. and I was too young to know. It's it's a sweet song. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's a beautiful song, mm-hmm. you know. And I love those seventies mm-hmm. ballads. So Ray Sawyer, um, we have we have um, people that clean our house. I don't know if it was his father in law or or he was down in Florida mm-hmm. one time, and he was staying at someone's house, and it was this guy's house. That wow. he was staying and he, he was staying at Roy, and, Roy Sawyer's house. Yeah, and the guy he cooked him breakfast. <laughs> I don't know if it was an acquaintance of a relative mm-hmm. uh, or why he was staying there, but he couldn't believe it was him. That you know, yeah. I don't know if he was wearing the eye patch. <laughs> if he burnt the eggs, you know, you can only see out of one eye. Yeah, you know, it would be interesting to know. I'm guessing that the I think he had an eye accident. Well, I'm guessing the eye patch was was fake, and it was a prop. I don't think it was. Okay, I, I think he actually had an eye injury. So then he gathered he he, he gathered the moniker Doctor Hook from that then from the eye patch. Now Doctor Hook uh, still tours, believe it or not. I don't know how many original members. Wow! So yeah. check out Only Sixteen. It's a, it is a sweet song. Yeah, another one that I could put I wait, uh, you know, put on a set list. I woke up this morning singing that, and now we're on number. Seven. So, Boogie Fever by the Silvers. Silver spelled with a Y, S-Y-L-V-E-R. Wow, you're loud. Yeah, okay, I'll back <laughs> off. So, um, number seven, Boogie Fever by the Silvers. Capitol Records. Mm-hmm. Um, stereotypical 1970s song, yeah. But, Jim, I wonder if you noticed something. Did you notice something really strange about this song? Yeah. Yeah. 
good reason. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Day Tripper. Okay. So, so the the beginning uh, keyboards, uh, they, they they it's altered a little bit. It's hmm. not exactly the same, but it really reminds me of Day Tripper right away. Yeah. So I thought that was really strange for being boogie fever. And you okay. got a boogie down. Yes, you got a boogie down. So uh, I got another question for you. I uh, don't know if you explored the lyrics, Jim. What popular 70s dance likely comes from the lyrics of this song? I don't know. Alrighty. So it says, yes, we did it. Yes, we did it. She kept going strong, doing the bump, bump, bump. Okay. We did the bump, bump, bump. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you remember in the 70s, uh, at school dances and stuff, we had uh, children. Mm-hmm. We had teenagers doing the bump. And you listeners, okay. uh, depending on your age, you'll know the bump or not. I don't remember that. Okay. I'm not that old. Okay. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. Who is old, right? Yeah. So, you know, instead of taking, um, you know, instead of going front to front, you know, with your private parts and grinding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People would actually, teenagers, um, go side to side and bump your hips against. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. You, you, you bump your hips against each other. The and that's the bump. Yeah. So you, you would bump your hips. Um, and then there was the Humpty Hump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of that band that's coming? Uh, Humpty, Humpty. What is that? I'm going to say Digital Underground. But... Uh, so, the bump, the bump. Um, uh, it says, I called the doctor on the telephone. Hey, hey. I said, doctor, please. What can it be? Is it some kind of disease? They call it boogie fever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, those lyrics are so 70. You know, it's so seventies. It's it's getting me. So um, well, seventy six. That was um, I wouldn't say it was, maybe it was towards the height of disco. It was the height, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then followed by, of course, disco sucks. So yeah, and then they burned all the albums. Yeah, which was sad. Yeah, I'm you know, shedding a tear right now. Yeah. So Jim, we're going to number six. Yes, a song we know very well. Yeah. So this song we know so very well, also because your aforementioned local station probably plays it sometimes this might be the only song correct me if i'm wrong out of the top 10 that that are still being played uh currently i don't think any of those songs you could tune in a radio anywhere uh maybe golden years but we'll we'll see we'll see what your your five songs are so um this is dream on by aerosmith uh it's a rock ballad and so it's slow, but it's rocking, and of course, what's really rocking about it is Stephen Tyler's vocals. This song, uh, and others, a few others to follow, really catapulted him ahead in his career. I, just like Golden Years, looked up the lyrics to this mm-hmm. after all these decades I hadn't known, Okay, and I got some wrong. You know, this is confession. Yeah. Yeah. Father, I have said something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> um, so listeners, you know, you know Dream On. But, but I got a question, a little quiz here. It's sing something, sing for the year, sing for the laughter, sing for the tear, sing something. It's just for today, never tomorrow. The good, I good, thought good, he was good. saying sing children. Mm-hmm. I thought he was singing sing women. Okay. Oh, yeah, sing women. Yeah, and that's wrong. What's he saying? He's singing sing with me. Oh. <laughs> as in with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sing with me. Sing. For, I, I don't hear the with me. It's sing with me. Sing with me. Sing yeah. with me. It's with me. Sing with me. Sing for the year. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm just wondering if he if he changed it somewhere. But uh, but that's the uh, that's the actual lyrics uh, to that. But I have a favorite version of this song. Okay. Yeah, it was with you mm-hmm. in 1992 at City Gardens. It wasn't Aerosmith. It was the loudest concert I was ever at. My ears hurt. I okay. Had to, I had to plug my ears. They might be giants. Oh, okay. Was it City Gardens? I don't remember them doing this. Yeah. Yeah, it was City Gardens okay. in Trenton, New Jersey. Okay. And I hadn't been to a concert in a while, and you know why. I don't need to mention mm-hmm. why. I hadn't been to a concert for like a year. It was really loud. My ears weren't used to the uh, uh, loud volumes. They Might Be Giants had Stump the Band or something like that. Stump the Band. Okay. And uh, fans would yell out song titles, and they would play it. Okay. So they yeah. started out Dream On intro with an accordion. Mm-hmm. That was so cool. <laughs> that was awesome. It was just so cool. So that's Dream On. That's my that's my favorite version now live. This, now this song was uh, 
supposedly the first song where Steven Tyler, or the only song in the band's first album where Steven used his real voice. So I guess he's got a different, you know, the rock and roll voice, and this is more his smoother. And he was insecure about how his voice sounded on tape. So for the other songs, he tried to sing a bit lower and sound more like soul artists such as James Brown. We're going to go on to number five here. All right. Again, this is the top 10 U.S. singles from 1976. Yeah, April 10th, Mm -hmm. the week ending. So at number five, we had right back where we started from, Mm -hmm. from Maxine Nightingale. Yeah. Now, she's a British R&B soul singer. Very strong, upbeat song. Now, if Elvis sang it. Come on. Okay. Now, her voice reminds me of Marilyn McCoo. I don't know if you know who that is. And it kind of reminds me of a Captain and Tennille song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, can I don't know that. if it's Love Will Keep Us Together. Maybe yes. sped up. I don't know. Yeah. It's a wonder she didn't become bigger because she has a really good voice. So this song was written by uh, two guys, Tubbs and Edwards. <laughs> and uh, they wrote this song. This is what always amazes yeah. me. Um, yeah. This song was written in seven minutes while driving to a hospital where Tubbs' wife was set to give birth to his daughter. Hmm. So they wrote it in the car going there. I get it. Like one of them was born at the hospital and they're getting right back to where they started from. They were born. One of them was born there. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a rough demo featuring Edward's vocal. It was cut the next day and it was Edward's who had performed with Nightingale in the West End production of Hair who approached Nightingale with an offer for her to record the song. Yeah, that song was written very quickly. Yeah, I only have one correction if you're done. Mm -hmm. Okay, so she didn't get the memo about, you know, not ending a a phrase with or sentence with a preposition. You know, get right back where we started from. It really should be get right back from that place from which we started. That would have been too long a title. Well, it only only adds a word, but uh, yeah, just a a little grammatical thing. So number four, we Mm -hmm. have the Bellamy Brothers. Yes. I could hear Elvis singing this one. Yeah. Yeah. Let Your Love Flow. Did I say the name of the song? No, you did not. Let Your Love Flow. Let Your Love Flow. Know this song very well. And it's a a nice love song with uh, some acoustic guitar. It was featured in the 1980 Tatum O'Neill film, Little Darlings. Wow, did not know Which I have not seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I'd feel kind of funny watching it now because it's Tatum O'Neill and um, Christy McNichol. Mm Mm-hmm. We we know them well. I've met both of them, by the way. Oh, cool. But I'm wondering, what is this flow? Mm-hmm. Let, let your love flow like a mountain stream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let your love grow with the smallest of dreams. Let your love show, and you'll know what I mean, because <laughs> oh, it's yeah. the reason. <laughs> now, this could be a, a Neil Diamond song. Oh, yes. Because Neil Diamond... Um, very um, showy. Often wrote about his um, his member, so I, I don't know. I'm just looking. Maybe I'm looking too much into this yeah. song. It's it's probably not related to Flo Millie though, right? I mean, the flow no, no. has nothing to do with that. Now the um, the composer of this song, Larry E. Williams, he had been a roadie for Neil Diamond's live shows. Uh, inside, and, inside scoop. Inside yeah, scoop. and uh, Let Your Love Flow had been published by Bicycle Music, which had been founded by the singer, and he owned Diamond's own catalog. Diamond's apparent disinterest in recording the song himself. Say, I'm not making this up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Howard Bellamy and the Bellamy Brothers. I don't know how many brothers there are. Yeah. Of the bro- oh, I'm sorry. Howard Bellamy of the B- Bellamy Brothers. Mm-hmm. He's commented, it really wasn't in... Neil Diamond's vein. <laughs> you can't make that up. <laughs> no. So um, that that was number four. Yeah, yeah. All right, we got three more to go. And we and we urge yeah. our listeners um, on our top ten. I know this is long time ago, but if you got Apple Music or Spotify, mm-hmm. give these songs a listen. Mm-hmm. You'll see yeah. what we're talking about. If you've never heard these songs, mm-hmm. listen to them. It, it's not the top ten of today. Mm-hmm. No, no. You know? And you will be waking up. Uh, you know, you'll be waking up singing that uh, Dr. Hook song. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's very catchy. Yeah. So but num- we got three more to go. Yeah. So number three, we got Lonely Night. Yes. Uh, Angel Face mm-hmm. by The Captain and Tennille. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I have to tell you, maybe I said this before in the podcast, but I always thought uh, the name The Captain and Tennille, I always thought it was just The Captain, The Captain and Tennille. Like, like I thought one it, word, Antonil. Well, no, I thought it was, uh, there was a captain and his name was Antonil. As I said, Antonil. Yeah, yeah, yeah Antonil. Yeah. 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 Like E-N-T-E-I-N. Yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think the captain passed away, mm-hmm. but they were married. Tony Tennille, that was her name. Mm-hmm. Now, this starts with crickets and mm-hmm. some night sounds. Um, yeah, and an instrument called the griro. Okay. Yeah, that's what you, 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 you scratch. Here it is. Okay, yeah. Now, the chorus picks yeah. up with some backup singers, and there's some deep-voiced dude. I don't know who he is. Uh, wow. And we've got conga drums. Yeah. Now, there's a, there's a Harry Conniff song... There's a Harry Conniff mm-hmm. version of this song. Wow. And he also uh, has conga drums. So I guess this song yeah. required conga drums. Some of the lyrics, lonely nights, I cry myself to sleep. It's a song about a woman who's lost her love and, you know, she's lonely. Mm-hmm. What I found interesting is this song was written by Neil Sedaka. Now, in his song, there's a part, he says, hey, little girl. Now, hey, little girl makes more sense than them changing it to Hey Little Man, I Miss You So Much, because, you know, maybe that's why he broke up with her. Yeah, Little Man. Yeah, who? what man wants to be called Little Man? Yeah. You know? We, we see that, but the women don't see that. I, I, it's really clear to me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Neil Sedaka's version is a little slower, but you can also hear the conga drums mm-hmm. in that, too. So that was number three. Yeah. I don't know if you have anything else yeah. to add. So, yeah, Neil, Captain and Tennille. The captain was on the piano, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, he wasn't on. He was playing. <laughs> yeah. She was actually the one on the piano. Yeah, and he wore, um, I think he was a boat captain. Yeah, yeah. yeah not Maybe be, they did a lot of cruises. Yeah, not to be confused with Captain Hook. Yeah. Um, I see a theme, though. He's the third Neil that we've mentioned. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we have mentioned the Beatles already with Ringo, so we're, we're, we got that behind well, us. Well, her too. name's Tony Tennille. Yeah. 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 Oh, Neil, Neil Sedaka. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, number two? Number two is a, a song uh, Mike and I know very well. Yes. From our, from our youth. It's uh, Dreamweaver mm-hmm. by Gary Wright. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a trippy song about forgetting your troubles and dreaming about better things. Yeah. Starts right out with with the uh, ethereal sounds of synthesizers and and twinkle, uh, you know, twinkling and stuff. Yeah. And the lyrics, I just close my eyes again. That's what it starts with. Mm -hmm. And on the album cover, his eyes are closed, but he's wearing mascara. Yeah. So I'm thinking the Dreamweaver might be a drag queen. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, Didn't think of that in 76. No. And apparently there's a train. Uh, he said he climbed aboard the Dream Weaver train. Yeah. So I don't know where that's going. Uh, Nowadays, would he have said plane? He board in a plane? I, I don't know. Yeah. I think that I had this in one of the first purchases, along with those 45s at Walmart's. I had a double eight track collection. <laughs> and <laughs> it was one of my first purchases ever. And it was this double eight track. And I think it was on there. The song was, we're going to bring up the Beatles again. Uh, According to Gary Wright, the song was inspired by an autobiography of a yogi, which was given to him by George Harrison. And uh, I'm going to mess up this name here. Para, Paramhansa Yoganadas. <laughs> okay. Paramhansa Yoganadas poem, yeah. God, 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 made reference to the idea of the mind weaving dreams. Okay. So the expression dream weaver was popularized by John Lennon. In a 1970s song, in his song God, taken from his solo album, John Lennon Plastic Ono Band. So this song depicts Lennon's declaration that he was the dream weaver of the 1960s, breaking away from the influences and dogmas that influenced his life. Mm-hmm. Pretty deep. Yeah. Gary Wright didn't have any other um, hits or any other songs getting airplay. I, I, I Getting airplay, I don't believe. I yeah. think he... Um, Re-recorded as Basket Weaver. No, I'm just making that up. <laughs> but it was in the 1992 movie Wayne's World. Did not. It was know on that. the Wayne's World. Um, Did not know that. There was a there was a longer version. So if you didn't get enough of it, <laughs> you had more. The Dream Weaver. Uh, we are number one. 
Number one. Yes. Disco Lady. Yeah. Another disco song. Disco Lady. Especially a song with disco in the title by Johnny Taylor. No idea who he is. Spent two weeks at number one. What's what's Johnny Taylor doing today? If he's alive, where where is he? I think he's dead. Interview. We're going to check for interview. It's smooth, soulful. It's Barry with the Times mentions that the girl, mm-hmm. uh, disco lady, she should be on a, on TV on Soul Train. Yes. Now, this is the kind of song you could make love to back in the day, I think. Uh, the, the lyrics at one part say about, uh, you know, I would get up and dance with you if it wasn't for the woman sitting next to me. In other words, okay. his, his girlfriend or his wife. Yeah, you know, but there's but there's one sitting, but except for yeah. there's one sitting next to me. I thought that was interesting. But this is more about his infatuation with this woman than disco, because, and we're not talking about dancing. I don't know what we're talking. It shake it up, shake it down, move, move it in, move it out, move, all around. move it round, disco move it, lady, move it round, yeah. move it in, move it out, shove it in and about, <laughs> disco lady. What is going on here? Is this what me. went on in the discos back then? We we were out dancing, Jim. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't know, and we don't know. Now, to answer your question about Johnny Taylor, unfortunately, we cannot interview him. He died in 2000 of a heart attack. He was 66. 21 years ago. We don't know what he was doing when he had the heart attack. Jumping in it. Yeah. (laughs) This went to become Johnny Taylor's biggest, biggest hit. Well, of course, number one. Two, Two weeks in a row, you said, I think. Yeah. The single was Taylor's first for Columbia Records where he signed after his longtime label Stax Records went bankrupt. Among the guests on the song were four members of Parliament Funkadelic. Oh, coolness, coolness all the way. We got bassist Bootsy Collins, keyboardist Bernie Worrell, guitarist Glenn Gomes, and drummer Tiki Fullwood. Tiki Fullwood. And backing vocals by uh, these three women, uh, Cynthia Douglas, Donna Davis, and Pamela Vincent. So those are your backup singers. It was the first hot 100 number one hit with the word disco in its title. Oh, well, yeah, that, that says a lot. Now there were, there had been several disco songs that already reached number one. Mm-hmm. So there we go. And he, he did have another, another song. It wasn't a hit, but it's called Eargasm. Really? Yes, eargasm, and I I didn't get to research that, but the lyrics or anything, but eargasm. Now, before we wrap this up, I'm going to briefly, a disco, believe it or not, started during the late 60s and early 70s. Wow. And it started in Philadelphia, New York City. It was a mixture of music from clubs uh, that were popular with African-Americans, Hispanic, Latino, and gay men, Italian-Americans. So, you know, a a mix there of people. and I didn't know it started in the late 60s. That would be with yeah. the in crowd, you know, people that are really, you know, hip. Yeah. Can I say hip on the radio? Hip? Hip. Yeah. People who were hip. Yeah. So uh, several dance styles were developed during the period of disco's popularity, including the bump. and the, oh, there, there you are. Uh-huh. And the hustle. Do the hustle. Do the hustle. <laughs> now, this song was, it was spoofed in a PSA. For the American Cancer Society. What words did they replace? They called it Dragon Lady, and in the commercial was played by a teenage Robin Givens, uh, which oh. is Mike Tyson's, I think it's his ex-wife. Yeah, that's right. Who turned off all her peers by her excessive smoking. And to wrap this up, the song was also featured in the first season of that 70s show. Oh, of course. Called that's a- First Date. And it's from 1999. Eric repeatedly sings the chorus to appease a drunken Donna. Yeah, so fine. You're making it right on time. Girl, you're getting me out of my mind. Yeah, shake it, shake it. Taylor actually won his second Grammy Award. It says nomination. Mm-hmm. So he did get a nomination for this song. Best male R&B vocal performance. Mm-hmm. Cool. So there we go. There's your top 10 for um, yeah, yeah. the week ending April 10th, 1976. Cool, cool, cool. So check those songs out. I know they're old songs, but you can still find them, and you can still dance to them. Dance. Now, one last thing. If you're so inclined, you like our podcast, we really appreciate all you listening to us just sitting here talking, rambling on 
about what we love, music. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening, you probably also love music. If you're so inclined, uh, like our podcast, we have a buy me a coffee page. Coffee mug. Which you can buy me or Mike a coffee, a beer, pizza. The minimum donation is $5. Mm-hmm. So if you're inclined, and I'm going to give you the link. So you want to go to buymeacoffee.com backslash Jim and Mike talk. That's where you can find our page. We appreciate anything you can throw away. Mm-hmm. We do have a little bit of overhead on the podcast, but we're getting by. We're eating. <laughs> we're still we're, eating. Still yeah. eating, still drinking. Yep. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Thank you. And be sure to check out our interviews. Uh, we did an interview a couple weeks ago that came out with... Uh, Great guy, legendary singer, Little Anthony. Mm-hmm. Talked to him for an hour and a half. And he could have talked longer. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to have some more good interviews coming up. So remember, turn off that TV. Turn up the music. And keep listening. Intro and exit music by the band 99%. Today's show was produced and edited by Jim Thatcher. Jim and Mike Talk Music is recorded at, did you say, seven studios in Washington, New Jersey. You can find Jim and Mike Talk Music on Apple Music, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The song Jack the Lumber by Alexander Nakarada, provided by Free Vibes Royalty Free Music. Music.